Well, uh, good morning, and I'm glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us this morning, we are covering Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, it's good because it's almost like a summary of what he has said, the author of this message has said uh, for the first nine chapters. He's trying to get them to the point of, of understanding what they have which is kind of what I do every Sunday. It's kind of, uh, Dale walked in this morning and I said, how you doing? He's like, I'm all right. Did you already say this? Oh, I was out in the children's area. But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's hard to be just all right when he's there. Uh, and And this is literally what he's trying to convince these Hebrew Jewish people that believe Jesus is the Messiah. They've come to the point where they've said, Jesus is the Savior of the world because he died for our sins. Back in 30 AD, this letter was written some 30, 40 years later, and the Jews are trying to get them to come back to the Jewish faith and not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Like, go back to the temple and do the offerings and the sacrifices and all those things that we were told to do in the day of Abraham and Moses and, and what the angels have said. And he's convinced them, tried to convince them for like nine chapters that that's old. That's the old covenant. I hope that you understand there is an old covenant and there's a new covenant. That's pretty basic information right there. The new makes the old old, right? The old makes the new new. There's a big difference and you have to understand the difference. So we get into this in chapter 10. We're not going to get all the way through chapter 10 today, but uh, we'll get as far as we can. First one, it says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come. This morning I was sitting over there with Jeannie, and I looked looked out the, the curtain right there, and I saw a figure walk in the door over there. And they were behind the curtain, and I'm like, that's got to be Ron Cox. And I said, good morning, Ron Cox, before he even like came through the curtain. I was like, oh, Lord, I hope that's Ron. <laughs> and it was. But all I saw was his shadow, and I, I knew who it was. I was hoping that's what it was. And this is literally what he's saying here, since the law has only a shadow of good things to come. Like, the law is a good thing for the unredeemed. If you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he died for your sins that he was crucified on the cross, that he's the son of God, that his blood was poured out, and you receive forgiveness, you have salvation, just simply because you believe. It wasn't because you came up here and said a prayer or anything like that, and then growing up or anything. It's, it's simply because you believed. Abraham was credited righteousness because he believed in God. That's it. Simply, you just have to believe. Jesus is the son of God. And if you believe that was the case, that was the case, there was good things to come. The law, the law says, hey, 
This is what you're supposed to do for an unredeemed person, a person that doesn't believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The law is a good thing because it says this is what you're supposed to do, and they realize that they can't live up to the law. No one here has lived up to the Ten Commandments. No one here has lived up to the 613 laws that are in Leviticus. No one has like lived out perfectly the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. No one's done it. No one's done it, except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one that lived the law perfectly. So what the author is saying here is that the law is just a shadow of the good things to come. What's the good thing to come? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is it. He's the good thing to come. It says, and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. They knew something better was to come. They knew it. They knew all along, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, they knew that there was a Messiah that was coming because of what happened in the garden back in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man with, with Adam and Eve. They knew that there had to be a Messiah, a Savior. So now Jesus has come, he's fulfilled the law, his death and his resurrection. If I turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Christ is the product, the one, the Messiah, the Savior that was to come. There, everything else before that, it looked like it. Yes, there's a Messiah to come, but what does it actually look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. And then you go to like a few verses down from that, starting in verse Colossians 2.20, it says, If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Can I, can I read that again? This is Paul speaking to the church at Colossae. He's like, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. The first part of my ministry and what I learned growing up was the Ten Commandments and how to behave. Don't run in church. Keep your shoes on during the worship service. All these rules and regulations. And this is literally what they were talking about in the church. In Colossae, they were having problems with it. He says, why do you submit to the regulations? All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom, they seem like a good thing. My, my mom taught me good behavior. She did. And she expected me to behave properly. It seemed like the right thing to do. It comes with wisdom. It says, although these things have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not any value in curbing selfish, in some of your translations it will say fleshly, they are not any value in curbing self-indulgence. Like, there's, 
nothing worth your behavior, you doing your behavior, you doing this yourself, you doing this out of your flesh. It's not about the behavior. It's about who you are. Paul's literally saying this to them. No one cares that you're here every Sunday. I mean, it's, I'm glad you're here. But it doesn't make you more special that you're here. It doesn't. I'm glad you're here. But just because you come here doesn't make you any better. To say, I go to this church or I go to that church or I do this, this is my ministry, doesn't make you better. That's literally what Paul's saying to the church right here. He's saying, no one wants religion. No one wants religion. They want the real person. It's my biggest struggle as a pastor is to say that I'm a pastor. Is to say that I'm a chaplain. Is to say that I'm some part of some religious organization. I don't even have that on my business card. It says director of a nonprofit. Because I try to shed the light of this, I'm some kind of like special person up here on the stage. I'm just a normal, regular, everyday person. I, I'm okay with messing up in front of you. I'm okay showing you my failures. I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, I'm just a normal guy that is supernatural. Not because of what I do, but because of what he made me. I'm supernatural. I'm, just as he's saying, I'm redeemed, I'm holy, I'm righteous. I'm perfect. Because it says right there, it's like, although these have a reputation for wisdom, they're not any value in curbing the self. And if you go back to verse 1, it says, it can never perfect the worshipers. It can never perfect the worshipers. And the, the, the fact that if it can't do it, the old covenant can't do it, makes you believe there's something that's coming that can perfect the believers. That we can reach this end, that we can be finished, that we can be complete. And let me tell you right now, uh, I am. I'm finished. I'm complete. I'm a real person, and sometimes I still mess up, but at the same time, I'm holy. And I have, this is the great thing. I'm totally perfect in my person, and I have access to God 24-7. I've been made perfect by him, and he's given me access. Verse 2, it says, Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins? It never happened in the Old Covenant. Year after year after year, they would come and bring their sacrifices to the temple, to the altar. The high priest would sacrifice the animal. The blood would be poured out. He would walk into the Holy of Holies. First of all, he would make a, uh, an, a sacrifice for his own sins, the blood of a bull. And then he would take the blood of the goats, and for the people, he would make another sacrifice. And you think about this. 
if they thought if they thought that their sins were either forgiven or atoned for covered which is all that they were they were atoned for they weren't forgiven they were just covered at what point did they stop being atoned for and covered for as soon as that high priest walked out of the holy of holies the whole process started over again i mean it had to be repeated year after year and so for like just a moment that that high priest is there at the altar making a sacrifice for their sins they're good but as soon as he walks out we start the process over year after year and i think here's the other thing if they if they keep doing this and they keep this process it's it's like this in your daily life does anyone get reminded of all the sins that they've done like do you get reminded on a on a daily monthly annual basis of of all the sins that you've done yeah you do because that's what the evil one does he's constantly reminding us of what we've done when the truth of the matter is whatever whenever i believed at 8 years old I was totally forgiven of everything that I'm doing when I'm 59 years old. I didn't realize that at the time. But that's the case. That I'm totally forgiven for everything that I'm going to do here in the future. Christ said, "It is finished." We are to live our lives consciously free of sin. I I was taught to work on my sin, try to quit sinning. Didn't work so well. just kept thinking more about sin. You know, and my mom would like focus on the behavior side of things. And as I had my own kids, Corey and Chloe, you teach them what is right and wrong. You teach them about the law. You teach them what is good and what is bad. And then at some point you have to trust the spirit inside of them. like if the same spirit lives in me and guides me and directs me i'm assuming that he's going to do that in my son and my daughter and as much as i want to like keep controlling their behavior i have to like let the spirit live in them and to teach them what is right what is wrong and that's a trust process but if they're to live their lives consciously free of sin they have to learn that from the spirit not from dad not from mom the spirit will teach them that how to live their life now look at verse 3 it says but in the sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year after year like every year you got to go through the process for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins i said this earlier that sins were atoned for we said this last week that sins were atoned for that basically means they were covered if you cover something if i cover the speaker the speaker's still there it doesn't go away it's just covered it's atoned for the sins were not forgiven it was impossible it says right there it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins they did the the blood of the bulls for the priests that's in Leviticus 16:11 and then they did the goat blood for the people that's in Leviticus 16:15 but watch this 
there's a prophet, a very young prophet, teenage prophet that comes along. His name is Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah 31, 33, it says this. Instead, this is the covenant. Instead, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. He's talking about a new covenant that comes along. Did you get the last part? Did you get the last part? It says, For I will forgive, not atone, not cover, but I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. That happened at the cross 30 AD for, for you, for you. Like, you weren't even around. It happened for you. And then verse 5, it says this. It says, Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, this is a quote from Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8. It says, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices, offerings, whole burnt offerings, and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. This is literally David talking in the book of Psalms, and he's talking about the conversation with the Messiah, Jesus, with his father. Sacrifices and offerings, they didn't accomplish forgiveness. But there had to be a body. It says, you do not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. When we take the Lord's Supper, you, as a pastor, I always remember, what comes first, the bread or the juice? Do you know? Did you ever think about it? What comes first, the bread or the juice? As a pastor, you always like know that you eat something and you have to wash it down with something. So the bread always comes first. But why is it important for the bread to become first? Because it says, but you prepared a body for me. Literally, Jesus came in a body form, and he had to die. He had to die, and he had to be buried, and he had to rise again and go sit at the throne next to God and a spirit come here on earth to live inside of you so that you could have life here on earth, so that you could experience life with a holy living God inside of you so that you could have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. Jesus's body had to die for you to have life, not when you die and go to heaven, but here today on earth. Jesus chose through faith literally to do his father's will to die for the sin of man. He's, he's literally come. I have come to do your will, God. They've talked in advance, really like eternity past, and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create this world 
this universe, who knows what that even looks like. And we're going to create people to join with us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three were already in existence. And we're just going to have a great time together. We're just going to enjoy one another. But here's how we have to do this. We have to give them a free will. We have to give them a choice. Do they choose to love us? Do they choose to partake with us? Or do they not? We're not going to force anybody to do this. So therefore, there's going to have to be an opportunity for them to make a choice. Do you love us? Do you want to be a part of this relationship? And to do that, they agreed that life was in the blood and Jesus' blood was going to have to be poured out. So in advance, they knew what was going to happen. And Jesus said, yes, I'll go to earth. I'll live out the law perfectly. I'll die and my blood will be poured out. He knew the will. Like literally when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he says, Lord, take this cup from me. He wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, I don't want to die anymore because they had already agreed that they were going to do this plan. He was literally saying, take this body from me. Take this body from me, this cup, this dwelling that I'm in because it was just messing with him. He, he got messed with just like you and I do. We've already read in Hebrews where it says we have a Savior that can sympathize with us because he walked in this human flesh and he's, he's struggled just as you have. He's grieved just as you have. He cried just as you have. He suffered here. But he gave his life and did the Father's will. And watch, this is verse 9. It says, he takes away the first to establish the second. Like, they knew they were going to have this old covenant and that Jesus was going to come and do his thing and then all of a sudden there's going to be a new covenant. He didn't take away the law. We still have the law, right? And the law is a good thing for the redeemed. But let me tell you this, the good news. He took the law away from you. You're not under the law. You're not under any legalism. The Ten Commandments were never given to you in the first place. They were given to the Jews. You're, you're free. You can go do whatever you want. Yeah, you're free. But the truth of the matter is, is like, he took your old heart out and he replaced it with a new heart. He took your sinful nature out and he eradicated it. Like, it's gone. He's made you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 he made you a totally new person. You're righteous and redeemed. You have this holy living God inside of you that's constantly whispering in your ear, I forgave you. I made you right. I perfected you. You're good. Even, even in the midst of you making bad decisions, even in the midst of me making, making bad decisions... He's not busting my chops. He's not condemning me because he's already dealt with the sin. But he's saying, you're righteous, you're holy. He's convicting me of my righteousness. I get up here every Sunday and I try to tell you you're righteous and you're holy because of what he did. It's not because of what you do. And that's all he's doing. But he's redeemed you. 
the old covenant sacrifices were done away with. And Jesus died so that this new covenant could be ushered in. So now the old covenant, it's, it's null and void. Hebrews says it's obsolete. It's not around anymore. Like The temple's not even around anymore to make sacrifices. And at the time, you have to remember what's happening here is these Jewish believers are being persecuted to go back to that. To go back to the temple, which at that time, it was still in existence. It was before 70 AD. Hebrews was written. Go back to the temple. If they would have gone back to the temple and done the sacrifices on an annual basis and they would have been there in 70 AD, they would have died. But we know based upon history that not a single one of these Hebrew believers died. Verse 10, it says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Sanctified. I've been sanctified. What tense is that? It's got an ED on the end. It's past tense. It's I've been sanctified. Okay, that's a big theological word. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. I'm set apart from the rest of this world. I'm an alien to this world. I I said this week, I'm kind of glad Hollywood's striking. I'm just kind of glad. I mean, just like, yeah, I enjoy movies. I'm going to go to a movie tonight, and I'm going to enjoy it. But... Strike all you want. Sit on the sidelines all you want. Because that's not really my world. It's not your world. I, I, I am totally an alien. I've been set apart. I've been sanctified. It, it's not something that I attain when I die. It's not positional. I was taught growing up, oh yeah, that's something that you have, but you really don't get it until you die. It's a positional thing. No, 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 no. I am sanctified. I'm set apart. Okay, now let's let, let's get into the nitty gritty of this. Is like, how is it then if I am sanctified and the scripture says that I'm being sanctified? Well, I have to go to uh, what Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 5 he says that we're a body soul and spirit i'm three parts what you're looking at is three parts what you see is my body you sometimes refer to it as the flesh but the flesh is also this selfish entity inside of me my body is neutral my body's not neither bad or good it's just the shell that i have here on earth it's just like it's it's the container it's the container for my other two parts, my soul and my spirit. When I was born, when I was born, I was born dead, spiritually dead. And the reason that I was born spiritually dead is because I came from the seed of Adam, Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Every one of us came from Adam. Jesus did not come from Adam. He did not have an earthly father. By birth, he was perfect. But we came from the seed of Adam, and we just had this nature to sin. It was my nature to sin. I didn't 
learn how to sin. It was natural for me to sin. It was just the way it was. It was it was natural. And then, uh, at some point, I came to believe. At eight years old, I came to believe. And all of a sudden, my spirit came alive. Because Jesus made it alive. He put his spirit in me. His spirit's in me. I still have my spirit. But he made it alive where I can... So, what's the difference? What's the difference? Is that my spirit has been perfected. It's been redeemed. It's, been, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new creation. And I'm able to communicate and have an intimate relationship with God the Father. That's a beautiful thing. And then my soul... My soul is like the the third part. We call that our mind, will, and our emotions. It's our personality. It's the things that influence us to make choices. And sometimes I still make bad choices. But my soul has already been redeemed. I if it's my mind, if it's my mind, scripture says I have the mind of Christ. I'm able to th- I'm able to read this book, read this book and understand it because I have this holy living God inside of me, this spirit living inside of me, and he helps me understand it. Hopefully he's helping you do that here this morning. He's helping you understand it. So now let me go back and say this. If my soul and my spirit have been perfected, they're holy, righteous, and redeemed, that is inside of me. You don't see that. All you see is my body, which is unredeemed. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, and you're going to put this body, this body in the ground, and it's going to turn to worm food. It's going to turn back to dust where it came from. My soul and my spirit, my soul and spirit is going to be with Jesus in heaven. Now, let me tell you something. Based upon what I know right there, what I just told you out of the scripture, who am I? Eternally, it's my soul and my spirit. That's who I am. That's all that matters. And that's what's been perfected. Not my, although my body's all right. I mean, <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh, although this this goes into the ground, this is temporary what you should see is my soul and my spirit. That's who I am. When I look at you, that's what, that's what I see. Holy, righteous people. Yeah, I know the junk you do. I know it. You know the junk that I do. But it's not about what I do. It's about who I am. And honestly, who I am is what he made me. He made me holy. It's only, it's only Jesus. And then he says, uh, verse 11, it says, Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifice time after time, which can never take away sins. There was a lot of daily work, especially on the day of Passover, for the priest. They were constantly on their feet making sacrifices, going to the Holy of Holies and all these things, killing animals, and they just never stopped. But it says this, but this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, forever, sat down at the right hand of God. 
We are a forgiven people. We live in a state of forgiveness. All sin forever, all sin for mankind was dealt with on the cross. It is through faith and repentance that one receives this forgiveness and made available to all. It's, it's available, you just have to receive forgiveness. It's just as if I were to give you this, you, you have to take it. You have to take it. You have to receive it. And again, you can take it and you can sit it on your nightstand and say that you have it and you do have it. But why wouldn't you like crack that thing open and get into it? Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you figure this thing out? Why wouldn't you get to know him more? Why wouldn't you understand what you have? Hmm. Verse 13 says, He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Even though they've already been defeated at the cross, the footstool thing is yet to happen. Verse 14, it says, For by one offering, this is it, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Who did we say sanctified? You, the believers that are sitting here in this room, you've been sanctified. Past tense. Now, watch this. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. You have been perfected. Past tense. It, it, there's nothing you can do to get yourself better than you already are. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more perfect. Perfect is perfect. He did it. It's a completed action with just a resulted state of being. <laughs> For those of you that have the New International Version, it says, "For one, by one offering is perfected forever those who are being made holy. <laughs> For those who are being made holy. If, if that's what you read, if that's what you read, then that means that you have work to do. But that's not what my translation says. It says, he has perfected forever those who are, are sanctified. Like past tense. Not those who are working on their behavior. This has to do with who you are. That translation there makes it seem like it's based upon your behavior. Those who are being sanctified. What's being, there's something in me that's being sanctified, and it is my behavior. Like, like every day, every day, I, I have two choices. I say this every time. I have two choices. Either walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. The more I walk by the Spirit, the more I know Him, I choose to walk by the Spirit. If I just like do my thing and not worry about Him, more often than not, I'll probably choose my flesh and do things in my own strength, and that in itself is sin. And so I always have these two choices, but when I choose to know him and, I, and my behavior begins to line up with who I am, that means I'm being made more sanctified. It's about my behavior. What that passage says is, no, you're already sanctified. It's my soul and my spirit that's perfect and redeemed. Verse 15 says, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, for he says, 
the, the Holy Spirit is giving credit for speaking through Jeremiah because he quotes Jeremiah verse 16. It says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. This is what I already read to you. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Verse 18. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Like, you can ask for forgiveness over and over and over and over again, but why when he's done it once? He says he's done it once for all. Like, it's like your, your your kid saying, can I have a cookie? 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 And you said, told him the first time, yeah, you could have a cookie. Yeah, you're forgiven. You, you live in a state of forgiveness. I, I don't have to ask for forgiveness anymore. I know that messes with some of you in this room. I don't have to ask for forgiveness because he said he died once. He died once for all. He took care of my sin when I was eight years old and I believed. It's a done deal. Hey, I, I still believe in repentance. Repentance is basically a, a change of mind up here and as I know him and he, he works on my behavior, not me. He works on my behavior. I believe in repentance and changing my mind about things. But as it comes to forgiveness and even confessing, I have nothing to confess because he's already taken care of it. I may confess to you because it's like good for us to be brothers and sisters and encourage one another, but I have nothing to confess to him. It's a done deal. He says it's finished. He died one time. He took care of it. It's over. This letter greatly impacted these Hebrew Christians. It meant the world to them to hear this message right here. Because obviously they didn't go back to the temple. No one, no one of these Hebrew Christians died in 70 AD. Not a single one of them perished. Because they understood that forgiveness happened at the cross. That's it. It's really good news. It's really, no matter what you've been taught, it's really, really good news. <laughs> Take the pressure off of yourself. Take it off. Enjoy life. Let him live through you. Let him work on your behavior. It's his job, not my job. I, I've tried. I failed. And he's still working on me. He's still working on me. But guess what? He redeemed me. He made me whole. He made me perfect. So Lord, I thank you for what you've done. And I just thank you for this message. Just that He just keeps repeating it over and over because you want us to figure this thing out that you've given us like uh, everything we could possibly desire that we can have this intimate relationship with you. I pray for understanding. I pray for wisdom. Not only for me, but for my friends that sit here and hear this message. That you would cause them to walk 
in a state of forgiveness. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.